Welcome to Howden's podcast, Fortune Favors the Brave. We all take risks in our everyday life and business is no different. In this podcast, we're speaking to the experts about a topical challenge or issue and what business leaders can do to overcome it. Welcome back to the second part of our podcast and professional risks faced by insurance brokers. I'm Neil Williams and I'm joined again by James Thompson from Mills and Reeve and my colleague Steve Ray. In the previous podcast, we covered off some discussion around the insurance market and areas of risk. And in this session, we're going to talk in more detail about risk management and then delve into the area of claims. So just starting with risk management, I always think that you can sort of put it into three key areas, the paper trail, your own people and your clients. I mean, just starting with the paper trail, for me, this is the cornerstone of everything that a professional should do in terms of getting the paper trail right and documenting what you're doing. It helps in making much clearer what you are and what you're not doing for your clients and setting out very clearly the advice that you're giving. And that paper trail really needs to continue throughout the course of your relationship with that client and making sure that you document all of the key conversations and discussions you have with that client. I'll pick up with James in a moment, but one of the key areas when we see claims arising is missing documentation can cause a huge amount of difficulty in defending professional indemnity claims against any type of professional. And one of the things I've become increasingly concerned about recently is use of social media by professionals, particularly WhatsApp. We all like to have really close relationships with our clients and quite often we start engaging in different types of communication and that could sometimes involve use of WhatsApp and that can cause a number of different difficulties. A, where's the paper trail? Other people can't see your WhatsApp messages, so you know where are they? Where's the recording of that conversation? Because that is part of your business relationship. And also, when and where are you having those exchanges? I mean, if you're sat at home watching reruns of Love Island on your second glass of wine, is it the appropriate time to engage in a, in a conversation via WhatsApp with, the, with your client? Perhaps not. It's worth bearing that in mind that you have to keep that paper trail flowing. I just wanted to pick up with you on that, James, because I suspect it's sort of an area ripe for claims and, as I said, makes it more difficult to defend claims when they do arise. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right, Neil. I mean, you know, the kind of need to record what you're doing is it's the same for any professional, frankly. But, you know, in insurance broking, we can see it quite a lot where, you know, kind of transactions are happening at pace. Uh, you know, conversations are taking place and stuff doesn't get written down. And you know, if you are in a situation where you have had you know, a meaningful conversation with the client, uh, you've been asking questions that are relevant to the risk, you've been giving advice on, uh, you know, exclusions or conditions or, or whatever it is, um, you know, having an attendance note on your file could be the difference between you know, if something goes wrong and the client turns around to you and says, you didn't advise me, it's the difference between you being able to say, yes, I did. And um, that the, the client being able to say, well, in the absence of a note, a judge or the financial ombudsman uh, is going to prefer my evidence. And, and I, as the, the poor uninsured client, um, say that you didn't tell me. So, you know, it really goes you know, as a litigator to the heart of, is a claim one to defend um, or, or, or to settle? Um, and it's as simple as that. So you can have, you know, an attendance note can have a huge financial ramification for, you know, you, your professional indemnity insurers, um, your reputation, all the issues that, uh, you know, arise if, if, if you've got a claim. Um, and if in doubt, write it down is the, is the message. Thanks. That's, yeah, really good point. And I've certainly seen many claims where there's been a lack of a paper trail. And it's just like, you know, spending two minutes writing that attendance note or, you know, making a record of, of whatever discussion you've had is absolutely key. And I can see Steve nodding there. Certainly something he's seen in the past as well. I um, could jump in on that, actually, Neil, because um, obviously 
this is a podcast, so you can't see me and you can't see that I'm slightly older than the other people in the room. <laughs> but I started my career in the 80s. And when we were communicating with clients, it was, you know, one was drafting a letter which went to a secretary that was typed. You had a chance to review what you were going to send. And if you were relatively new to the business, it had to be signed off by your line manager. So you, there was there was a constant checking process going on. Over the years, obviously, we've moved moved more and more uh, towards nearly every bit of communication is is by email with the proviso the, of your WhatsApp comment earlier. But with email, obviously, it's instantaneous. You're getting a question, you're responding to that question, and that thinking time has been removed. And that thinking time with the opportunity to check with one of your colleagues or you know, to have that signed off has completely gone out of the window. And I, I'm very, very conscious and have been for some time that we're asked often some very complicated questions. There may be quite a lot of um, you know, uh, figures in there that there's an opportunity maybe to do something too quickly, miss, miss a zero out, change the decimal point or whatever else it is. Um, so I'm, I implore people to be able to just to slow down sometimes, cross-check it, speak to a colleague. You know, I'm doing this email. It's long. It's it's complicated. You don't get the, you know, the 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 spacing, the paragraphing and everything else that you do within a letter, which makes it really clear of where you're going and you don't get a proper start and end to a message. And just coming up to your point uh, uh, again about social media, one of the things when I used to do some um, risk management lectures about Lloyd's brokers back in the early 2000s, we'd very often see when we were looking at communications and we're looking into the deals within a, within a file, that there were missing links. And when you asked, started asking people about what happened there, they'd say, well, actually, you know, I was so keen to get my response in there. I had a BlackBerry. I'm on the train. I've seen the query come in from my client. Very often overseas, you know, so in an international environment, they're working different hours. You're keen to demonstrate to them that you're on top of a particular issue. That's not recorded on the file. Blackberries weren't synced into the, into the process. But the real concern was that, you know, to your point, you know, in the insurance market, occasionally from time to time, people used to go out for a pint or so after work. So they're on the 11 p.m. train on their way home. They've got an inquiry in from the States and they're keen to show off. But they're a couple of drinks deep or a couple of Pinot Grigios in. And, else. <laughs> and you look at some of the, the, the messages that I used to receive from colleagues and you're thinking, my God, how much had they had to drink last night? And you're wondering whether they were doing the same thing with their clients. So I you know, I'm very much in favor of trying to slow things down from time to time. You do not need to respond immediately. We also, you know, I was there when faxes came in, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which which speeded up things mm. terrifically. But they were hand-scrawled notes and everything else. And they faded over the course of a couple of days and everything else. But, you know, just imploring people just to take that moment to think and maybe to cross-check with somebody. I totally agree with that. And just to pick up on your point mm. on WhatsApp, you know, I've got cases on my desk which concern you know risks that have been sort of negotiated placed via whatsapp yeah it's not good don't do it <laughs> it's not, it's you know it, 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 it's absolutely it's, it's not good practice and you know to my point a moment ago about you know being faced with a, with a claim to defend or or settle mm. um you know when you've got you know sort of 
these exchanges of, of, of WhatsApps um, that you know obviously will be disclosable in in the claim. But you know th these are not sort of you know well structured, thought out, considered. You know, to Steve's point, um, you sort of take some time to make sure it's right and accurate. Communicating by WhatsApp, you know, placing risks with emojis and gifts. It's not it's 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 not a very good idea. So um, absolutely, is a big no no. Absolutely. And I mean, I think there's going to be a real challenge, you know, for the future is making sure that we kind of communicate effectively with our clients and our business partners, because we all are expected to turn things around so quickly. And we expect it of our service providers as well. And um, yeah, we would need to find some better solutions to that, I think. Um, and I think that leads nicely into sort of the question more generally around people and staffing. And obviously, people and staff are a, a big area of risk, um, as well as reward for a business. And, um, you know, my certainly my perception is that insurance broking has become a much more professional uh, industry over over the years a lot more training a lot more development and education but there's still you know significant risks out there and certainly more recently obviously you know in the brave new world with hybrid working i see significant risks there in terms of working practices and particularly getting younger people into offices and educating them and teaching them what's your perception steve in terms of of the people risk for insurance brokers so i I totally agree. I mean, there's the two points in there, aren't there? One is that I think the profession has become much more professional. Yeah. Uh, when I started out, there were some very, very smart traders who just got deals done. And then there was a whole group of people trying to sort of tie that together behind the scenes. We may or may not have issued documentation. We may or may not have issued documentation that year. You know, it was it was frequently uh, happening that, you know, you, you were getting to renewal. And, and people haven't been paid and everything else, you know. So there was a very, very significant push, wasn't there, through, you know, through some of the codification of uh, some of the practices to ensure that documentation was issued within a, a, an appropriate time, that everybody was paid on time and everything else. And I think as a business, we, as a profession, we've got much better at that. I think we've got much better at training people in high-level terms, but there is... There is so much that goes on within an insurance broking house that a lot of the training is almost by being at the desk, listening to your colleagues talk on the phone or with their other colleagues about what's actually going on. And my big concern has been was, was within COVID, we took on staff here and other businesses obviously did. How do you actually make sure that people really understand what the environment is that they're operating in? And that sort of sort of uh, concerns me going forward. You know, the hybrid piece, if we've got people who don't want to come to the office, how are they picking up on the nuances of what it is that we do on a day-to-day -day basis? There was an excellent article in the Sunday Times a few weeks ago by Amanda Blanc, the CEO of Aviva, talking about, you know, hybrid working to her mind doesn't work. And it's lovely being able to quote somebody else rather than somebody within your own business. She's a big personality within the insurance market. And she was talking about a lot of issues. And I, I totally agree. You know, we need to get people together so that they learn, so they become the next generation of people that will, that will take the business forward. I don't really see that if people aren't, aren't at their desks. No, I totally agree with that. I had to train, you know, a graduate trainee during COVID. And it was an exceptionally difficult thing to do to sort of try and bring them along to sort of A, to train them technically, but also to instill the values and the culture of the business as well. But uh, I'm sure you've had the same, James. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is not exclusive to insurance broking at all. You know, Mills and Reeve, 
all law firms, all, all office-based businesses have, have yeah. faced the same challenges. Um, but it's it's right, you know, from sort of you know your risk management standpoint, um, right through to you know kind of embedding a culture. Um, you know, having some sort of on the ground relationships is is absolutely vital. So, no, totally agree. Excellent, thanks. And I just want to touch on briefly the third strand of, of risk management in terms of the client, in terms of understanding your client and knowing your client. I've personally seen a number of claims where. Unfortunately, the insurance broker didn't seem to know their client particularly well in the types of business they undertook, but also understanding the type of client you're in terms of the broader sense, you know, if they're a particularly difficult client, if they've been through four insurance brokers, you know, in the last four or five years, why are you taking them on as a client? You know, they, those clients can bring their own risk with them. I mean, again, that can be the same with any other profession, but um, just wanted to pick up on that. And again, Steve, whether you've got any particular insights into the, that side of the risk well, I'm, I'm sort of inwardly laughing because I had a conversation with a, a colleague the other day. Um, solicitors came out of the Solicitors Indemnity Fund, as you know, in September 2000 and into the wider world of the commercial insurance marketplace. We picked up a client in 2009, um, so eighth renewal post-SIF, post, um, and they'd had seven brokers and six lead insurers in that time. And one of the things we spoke to them about at some length during the year that we were with them was that, you know, really we were in, engaging with them. We were trying to help them with some of their risk management controls and everything else. Um, and, you know, really we were investing in that relationship. We wanted it to be a long-term one. And they moved the, the following renewal. And weirdly, the reason that we were talking about it the other day is we've just picked it up again, you know, another 14 years later. <laughs> they've moved several times since. Does it make it a difficult risk? It makes it difficult to get under the skin of the relationship. One of the things that we love as an insurance broker is getting to know our clients really well. And you, you know, we want to afford invest into, into that. So once we take on a client, we really want to know what they're up to because it helps us portray that risk to the insurance market. But you kind of get better and better at that over the years because you get to meet more of the team, you get to meet some of the individual subsets of that organization, and you can then talk more you know, more clearly to the insurance market, you can help your client present their best case. You know, so an insurance um, proposal form is is pretty narrow. It doesn't give you any real insight into a business. And if if an organisation does something a little bit unusual, it's nice to put that message out there about what that means, and then we can explain it to the to the insurer. Um, so you know that happens that happens a lot in in the insurance broking community because. There are lots and lots of very specialist businesses that we look after and trying to get something that allows us to uh, put forward a really good proposition to the insurance market is key. Absolutely. Can I just, on that, instead of knowing your client, obviously, you know, knowing your client demands and needs is absolutely central to what, to what a broker does. But I do also think that from a claim standpoint, there's a risk of knowing your client too well in the sense that the vast majority, 90% of the claims that I would see come out of renewal business. And, you know, typically a broker will do a Rolls Royce job in year one. It's mistakes will creep in on renewal. Uh, and so you know, whether that's the broker's fault, or whether that's the client's fault, because the client doesn't engage in the, the renewal process, but you know, assumptions get made, meetings don't take place, um, you know, proposal forms are filled in on behalf of a client, and you know, they're either client doesn't see it or doesn't really look at it. Um, and that's where you can get issues. So um, it is sort of <laughs> absolutely know your client, know who they are. But if you've been acting for them for 10 years, really make sure you still know who they are and keep revisiting that because you know the duty that you know a judge or an ombudsman will expect 
is the same on inception as it would be in year 10. You know, the, 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 the kind of the, the obligation on you doesn't diminish as, as time goes on. Um, and the risk is that the clients you think you know the best end up being the ones that you actually you have the missing information about. You know, you, en- you end up fundamentally knowing them, knowing them the least and they're the ones that will cause you the problem. I think that's an extremely important point to sort of understand that client and keep that, you know, understanding on, ongoing. I mean, businesses evolve all the time, as our, our own has. And, you know, it's important to, to get under the skin of that and to do it regularly, I would say. Okay, that's great. Thank you both very much for that. The, the final point I wanted to just pick up on is the, the area of claims. Um, just to talk briefly about notifying claims and then talk about the types of claims that we see. Certainly, if I had one message, it would be notify, notify, notify. If you became aware of an issue that might give rise to a claim, I would strongly recommend anybody to have a conversation with their own broker and to talk about notifying it. Um, In terms of, you know, the risk of your premium increasing, having a number of notifications isn't necessarily a bad thing, depending on the size of your business. It shows that you're managing risk. Um, And it's important to engage with the process properly and make sure you get the right advice from the right people. Uh, as part of that. And I think there's a really good cultural point there as well to make sure that within a business, you've got a culture where people are able to come forward if something goes wrong and that they're happy to talk to their managers and their colleagues because it's the best way to fix any problem is to, to share it with other people that have got the right skills to help you with that. And again, it comes back to the point about hybrid working. Again, I'm increasingly concerned that if people are working at home, they're less likely to come forward with the problems that they're facing. I'm sure you'd echo that, Steve. Yeah, I mean, we've we talked a lot about this in the past. It's what we used to refer to as a sort of open door culture. So if somebody's made a mistake, they spot that they've made a mistake. You do not want them sitting on it. You want them to immediately go and speak to the line manager. Um, as you say, notification is, is key here. But actually, in a lot of situations, if you're on it straight away, the remedy is relatively straightforward, particularly in insurance broking. Um, so that bit where it's raised immediately gives you a chance to do something about it. Putting it in the bottom drawer and hoping it goes away never ends well. Um, So yes, 100%. And I'm with you. Somebody working from home, it's it's much more difficult in my mind to pick up a a phone call and say to your boss, you know, I'm really sorry, but I kind of missed this or I haven't done that. Being able to walk, you know, to the next desk and say, can we have a quick word? is a much easier situation. And I, I really, really implore people not to not to get embarrassed about that. It's really key that the culture within the organization allows somebody to come forward and say, you know, I don't know what to do now. No, I'd absolutely agree with that. And just turning to you, James, in terms of when you see claims, they usually come to you quite late in the day and perhaps somebody's already tried to fix it. I guess it makes your life more difficult. Oh, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think Think about other classes of profession. You've got a, a law firm has got a problem with a client. Very quickly, they will probably identify a conflict of interest and have to cease to act. In broking, I think the culture is slightly different. You know, insurer is refusing to pay a claim. Broker's instinct is to try and resolve that. You know, utilising their relationship with with underwriters. Um, they also want, want to hold on to the client for the for the next renewal, understandably. Um, And sometimes that can be possible. uh, But I think doing that in conjunction with your PI insurer, uh, doing that in conjunction with people like, you know, us at 
Mills and Reeve, um, with your broker like Howden. Um, so, so that if you are going to stay on board, and there are plenty of situations where you can try and navigate a resolution with insurers, um, but you need to do it in such a way that a is insulating you, so you're not making admissions that put your uh, PI cover in jeopardy. But you're also not placing yourself in a conflict of interest where the FCA is going to um, be be very unhappy with you. So th- there is a there's a line to be walked, um, and you know professionals like us can can help you walk it. Um, is, is how I'd put it. No, absolutely. Thanks very much for that. And there's just one other point I just wanted to pick up on more broadly in terms of remedial action. And I'll ask you a question, Steve, in terms of how helpful is it when, you know, if something goes wrong, that the client sets out in detail what they've done to fix the problem and how they're going to deal with it going forwards? I mean, that's a really good question. And one, you know, we see this for all professions. But if something has happened, it can be an absolutely fabulous wake up call to the business. And therefore, if they're able to put in place additional controls, sign off, change their processes to prevent recurrence, it becomes a really strong message to the insurance market. I mean, that historically, there have been issues, I think, uh, you know, for organizations that have never had a claims circumstance. And they, when they get their first one, and it tends to be big, mm. you know, there's a, a total panic. But if if they've never had circumstances and everything else, there can be a complacency that sneaks in. So that's a chance to, you know, to remedy it. But it's really important to get the messaging right out to the underwriting community. You know, we did this, mea culpa, what have we done to rectify it and put some language around that into the proposal form or into the present presentation back to the insurance market? Always really well received. And actually, you know, you can then build on that year after year to say, we're now constantly reviewing our processes. We're constantly looking at our regulatory environment. We're constantly looking at our staff training and everything else to prevent prevent these sort of issues arising again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I've certainly seen it, you know, a number of times recently where, you know, there's been an issue and, and the client has done a you know, great job of documenting what they've done to put it right. And it puts them in a great light with insurers. Absolutely, it does. Okay, that's great. Um, Just to wrap up then, I just wanted to pick up with you, James, in terms of the claims environment, types of claims you're actually seeing at the moment. We've talked a little bit about COVID, but we've also talked a little bit about inflationary risks going forward. But what are you actually seeing on a day-to-day basis at the moment? Sure. Well, I mean, the overarching point I think I would make about the claims landscape is that it is, in my view, much better and more positive for brokers than it was sort of 10 or 15 years ago. You know, we've seen the Insurance Act come in in 2016. Uh, before that, the Consumer Insurance um, Disclosure Act, CEDRA, um, back in back in 2012, um, which have both you know, reduced the number of situations where insurers are declining claims and avoiding policies where you know, you've seen classically, you know, factory burns down, £5 million loss, claim is not paid policyholder turns straight to the broker because you know, under the old Marine Insurance Act of 1906, um, you know, the most basic breaches were giving rise to, to avoidances. Um, that no longer happens. Um, what we're seeing far more and what we're doing, uh, uh, spending a lot more of our time doing is working with brokers to uh, negotiate with, with insurers um, at applying uh, proportionate remedies uh, under, the, uh, under the Insurance Act. Um, uh, so, you know, Typically, I mean, typically insurers will always say, oh, well, if this material fact had been disclosed to us, we would never have written this risk, um, to which uh, our answer has got to be, well, insurers now must evidence that. So where are your underwriting guidelines to show us that actually underwriters would not have um, considered a a 
risk if this fact had been uh, disclosed. Or if there are no underwriting guidelines, we need to see witness evidence from, from underwriters. So we're spending a lot of our time sort of either us dealing with you know, law firms acting for insurers or us working behind the scenes for brokers to help them communicate with, with insurers to try and get, um, get claims paid um, uh, and to have you know, proportionate remedies applied. So whether it's additional premiums charged, you know, other, other conditions added to the policy, whatever, it's, whatever it might be. Um, but to you know, move on from this situation where you know, policies are being avoided, claims are being um, declined. So yeah, that, that's, that's the overarching um, landscape, which, which I think is, is pretty uh, good. Um, we talked in episode one about uh, claims around uh, underinsurance as being a, a trend, and we're certainly starting to see a, a little bit of, of that. Um, you know, claims can come from you know, every, every time a broker picks up the phone, um, you know, situations can, can occur that can lead to, uh, lead to a, a potential loss. Um, so, you know, and the thing I always say to, to brokers is, you know, the mistakes you're accused of are pretty straightforward ones. You know, it's, it's you know, you, kind of the sum insured was either right or it was wrong, or, you know, you did ask this particular question or you didn't. It's, it's generally the breach of duty question will be a binary yes or no. Um, and so sometimes quite difficult to defend because it is either yes or, or no and very factual. Um, spend a lot of our time, you know, arguing on grounds of, of causation and coming back to this issue of, well, regardless of, you know, the kind of the breach of duty that's alleged, um, has that actually caused the loss? Or would insurers always have had a reason not to pay this claim? Or should insurers be paying um, this claim? So um, it remains, you know, it remains the case that, you know, causation is, is key to, to defending brokers' claims. Great. And just, you know, picking up on that, I think it's a really positive point about proportionate remedies. I mean, have you seen that reflected, Steve, in terms of underwriters' attitude to insurance brokers that were seeing less of those kind of catastrophic type losses that, you know, certainly we've seen litigated in the past? So, I mean, this is this is a really interesting point, isn't it? So back to back to our initial discussion around, you know, what's going on in the insurance market worldwide and then dropping that down into the UK and then in turn into professional indemnity and then in turn into brokers you know. Uh, we do see, you know, that we, we're standing uh, in a relatively optimistic position. Um, what, we, what we struggled really is with is underwriters articulating exactly what their concerns are going forward. So coming back to James's point about the Insurance Act, in the build-up to the Insurance Act, Underwriters were really concerned, you know, that brokers were going to be really in the spotlight. You know, they'd, they'd, they'd make mistakes which would give rise to a lot of claims. We had a lot of analysts uh, talking about the same thing. We had a lot of presentations from, uh, you know, uh, compliance individuals about, you know, how we really needed to be on, on our metal. And I have to be honest, I was a little bit, uh, a little bit uh less clear that we were going to be in the spotlight than uh, perhaps some of the people were, were doing. But there is that bit, isn't there, within the insurance market, particularly within the underwriting community, where everything's pessimistic. Um, we were talking to a, a big insured the other day, and the underwriter was saying, well, of course, you know, with, with the economy being where it is, you know, well, we've got to be super careful about, you know, our relationship going forward. And the client called out the underwriter and said, in fairness, we've been with you 10 years for 10 years and everything in those 10 years has been pessimistic. So, you know, it hasn't been borne out. So I think as brokers, we have to be very careful uh, and we have to be, you know, on the front foot in terms of talking to the underwriters about, you know, why we think this is a good opportunity, why we don't think there's an avalanche of claims coming down the line or, you know, 
whether you know recessionary pressures are going to lead to to issues. I mean, the, the wider insurance market has always had a problem, hasn't it? In recessionary times, there is a there is a you know a lag, and claims do tend to to crop up for a variety of professions. So you know we know that these things can happen, but we've also got to be super clear of you know if we're representing our client base, you know why it is that we think that this isn't is something that's not going to give rise to a, to a series of losses for a particular profession. And I think we're at that stage at the moment. I think that's a really good point and actually a good note to end on that sort of that it's our role to give that positive message about the good things that are happening, you know, in the market at the moment. So all that remains is me to thank both James and Steve for the time. Some really interesting discussion there. And also thanks to our audience for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fortune Favours the Brave from Howden. To hear more episodes and subscribe to our channel, search Fortune Favours the Brave on your favourite podcast app.